0: Good morning and welcome to episode 737 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from baseball perspectives brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grandland. Hi, Ben. How are you, Ben?
1: I'm great. What a weekend.
0: Yeah, baseball uh, was all over the place.
1: I was talking about good wife.
0: Oh, yeah. I should have seen that coming. (laughs) Solid, solid effort there. It was in fine form. Yeah, it was pretty good. All right. Anything else to Um, talk about? That
1: was it. I spent my weekend looking forward to and watching that episode.
0: Anything else? Did you
1: do anything else? I watched some baseball, wrote part of a book. There was a lot of really good baseball. It was a surprisingly good weekend because nothing actually changed, really. If you had ended the season on Friday or ended the season a week before Friday, I think the, the playoff teams would all be the same. And I don't think... I think the only thing that was really decided was the Royals getting home field and the Dodgers getting home field for their series, but the other comebacks and collapses didn't really happen, but so much other stuff happened. I mean, they almost happened, which was exciting in itself. There was the crazy Rangers-Angels game on Saturday with the incredible comeback. There was Scherzer, perfect game, and... 35 strikeouts in that game overall which is a record and there was Ichiro pitching and there was chris sale throwing a 50 mile per hour pitch and kershaw getting the 300 strikeouts and just tons of stuff
0: yeah i didn't see the chris sale one send it to me
1: Uh, i'll try yeah he threw a 97 mile per hour fastball and then he followed that with a 50 mile per hour ethos sort of thing and then he went back to the slider and poor james mccann ended up striking out it was really not a fair fight
0: but did you how do you uh how do you like the sunday thing where all the games at the same time
1: i liked it it was good i had not even a second screen experience i had a third screen experience going on i had the the rangers game on the tv and the Astros game on a tablet and then my laptop too so i was in my little command center well that is that is that is
0: just awful (laughs) That is horrible. That is shameful. Chris Sale's pitch. Now, what is this even trying to be? I mean, there's no, there's no skill here. There's zero, there's zero actual effort at doing this right. I mean, this is this looks like it occurred to him mid windup. Yeah, it was the uh,
1: last weekend of the season. Team is out of it.
0: Did he only throw the one?
1: I think he only threw the one. Yeah. And then he threw a, he threw a slider after that, which I <laughs> think James to James, <laughs> James McCann Gotta dig deep against James McKinnon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I enjoyed it.
0: There's no smile. There's nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no acknowledgement by anybody on the field. <laughs> I
1: All think right. he did address it in a press conference after the game, which I didn't listen to. Yeah, that was that was strange.
0: <laughs> it's, it is. I don't actually. Uh, it's odd to see Chris Sale do something so poorly, and I don't mean like that he threw a pitch so slow. I mean that he threw a pitch so slow, so poorly. Mm-hmm. Like the the difference between that and like, for instance, Ichiro, mm-hmm. who for years has been telling us, or we've been telling each other that he could hit fifty home runs if he wanted, and he could have been a pitcher if he wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes out and he actually looks like he could have been. Yeah. A really a really good pitcher if a you real, like
1: a real breaking ball and everything and he was a real
0: breaking ball at 80, 88
1: at a at, <laughs> at 41 at <laughs> with never pitching. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And good mechanics uh-huh. and good control and you do get the feeling that if he had decided to at age 27, he could have been at least league average, would you guess?
1: <laughs> I if would you guess he a, could have been a reliever. He looks like he could have been a Reliever.
0: So Ichiro, having watched that, I want you to tell me what Ichiro's stats as a major league reliever would have been from ages 24 (laughs) to 32. Give me his like ERA plus. He's as a reliever. He's so frail. (laughs) Yeah, but he's a reliever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he would he would break somehow.
0: He's frail. He played like 162 games for like (laughs) 19 years in a row.
1: I know. Well. I don't know. I I'd, I'd say he would eh, I'd say he'd be a, a slightly above average reliever.
0: He led the league in games played at ages 36, <laughs> 37 and 38. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think he leads the Marlins in games played now.
0: Is that true? Uh, it was a while ago.
1: It might that be. That is the
0: saddest thing <laughs> that I've ever heard. He's he's got a 561 OPS.
1: Yeah, and they were all, like, a couple weeks ago, There, oh, we got to bring him back. He's going to be back next year.
0: He's I, minus 1.2 war, and he got more games played. He does. He,
1: he leads the Marlins in games played 153. He does not lead in played appearances, but he does lead
0: in games played. That is the most <laughs> damning fun fact that I've ever heard. That is amazing. That is an amazing one. Yeah. So what I was saying is that Ichiro is a guy that we not only was an all-time great player, but was an all-time fun player and seemed to always be good at everything. And Chris Sale is not only an all-time great pitcher, but an all-time fun pitcher and seems to be great at everything. And then all of a sudden he comes out with his like Johnny Cueto impression and it's total garbage and the whole thing falls apart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And yet it worked. It's like... Remember that ad for uh, Nike where Tiger Woods is, uh, like, juggling the ball on his pitching wedge? Yeah. It'd be like that if the whole thing were Tiger Woods doing it twice and then going, ah, oh, and then, hang on, <laughs> I can do it, hang on, and then does it. And it's like a two-minute commercial of him going, hang on, no, seriously, I did this earlier. I got, like, I got like nine earlier today.
1: <laughs> were you at the Pacific's game, the San Rafael Pacific's game this so year the where soccer the instructor? the soccer, <laughs> soccer juggler girl – she like was the great. She was pretty good. I, it, she didn't look like world record material, which she was advertised, billed as. But I I accept that she is when she's not performing at so Albert Park.
0: Ben, ben is talking about a girl who was probably about 10 who came out to uh, juggle a soccer ball, like, you know, with her feet kick mm-hmm. juggle, whatever you call that. She was, yeah, she was billed as the world record holder, which I'm assuming there's some, not not to be disrespectful, I'm assuming there's a qualifier left out just because there aren't many world records <laughs> that everybody can can get and that uh, a 10-year-old girl has.
1: For her age uh, group, you mean?
0: Yeah, like I'm I'm saying a 10-year-old, I mean, you wouldn't expect a 10-year-old to be better than a grown-up. Like, that's all. Like, nothing, mm-hmm. no, no insult there. Sure. You just don't expect a grown-up Kids are bad at uh, things. Right. <laughs> they're, they're still learning is the pro- I think the appropriate way to say it. They're still learning. Okay. Uh, still mastering the craft. She used to be a juggler, but now she's a pitcher kind of a thing. And so anyway, I'm guessing that she's for her age group. But anyway, she had uh, juggled like 5,000 plus times at some point, I think. Mm-hmm. And so she came out to juggle for the crowd and she was raising money for a charity, which is uh, another thing that's mm-hmm. great. And um she I Ben's badmouthing her. I thought she was great. I she juggled a couple hundred times and in really front of everybody. I think it was that high?
1: I don't know. I, th- I didn't have a counter going, but I was expecting the game to be delayed was- because she <laughs> she would never stop and we would be there for hours and it wasn't she fit into a, a between innings break.
0: As I recall, it was around a hundred uh-huh. that she that she got. And it might have been with a margin of error of like maybe 20 on the low side. It could have been as low as 80. And I think it could have been as high as like 250. My memory's not great. But I think what you're mainly reacting to is that the form is not what I was expecting from a graceful juggler. Like it, it turns out that probably anybody who juggles a soccer ball knows this you keep your leg real stiff. Mm-hmm. And so she was sort of, she, it was like she was doing something with chopsticks and, you know, her legs mm-hmm. were the chopsticks. They were perfectly straight and she was just sort of going like, I'm doing it with my arms. She was, you know, like doing sort of robot movements, just bop, 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 bop. And uh, it didn't look like somebody who was insanely in control. But in fact, that's probably how you do it. And yeah. so I remember at first thinking, oh, just that, huh? She's just doing that. <laughs> like it doesn't look athletic. And then she was in she but it turns out she was in great control and I I completely buy her as the world record holder. Ben yeah. does. But <laughs> I've never seen anyone better at it. Ben Ben was just jealous of her calves. <laughs> I think I'm just not impressed by the whole art form. Like there's a whole bunch of videos of the record being set but they don't just tell you. Oh by the way, <laughs> Ben, mm. what I did find out is that there's actually a name for this other than juggling. What's that? Keepy-uppy! There's a a Wikipedia page for keepy-uppy. Huh,
1: maybe it's only done by (laughs) 10-year-olds. Maybe that's why it's called that.
0: Keepy-uppy, or kick-ups, is the skill of juggling with an association football using feet... Football ball, by the way. An association football ball. (laughs) They don't just call it a football. Using feet, lower legs, knees, chest, shoulders, and head without allowing the ball to hit your ground. Uh, An incomplete list of keepy-uppy performances. (laughs) A 25-year-old kept a regulation football aloft for 26 hours. Wow. See, that's impressive. That's the kind of thing
1: I wanted to see.
0: The fastest marathon while doing keepy-uppy? Seven hours, 18 minutes. That's not that great. (laughs) While bouncing the ball the entire way. Dan Magnus uh, holds the longest distance while doing keepy-uppy. managed to go 36 miles. Without letting the ball touch the ground, longest keepy uppy while on one's back, <laughs> 21 minutes. Bicycle keepy uppy. Just I'm keepy-uppy. reading all of them mostly to say keepy uppy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the most touches in 60 seconds. That's not that great. Eh, they don't. There's no number. So I guess keepy uppy. This th- I, now I'm gonna call fraud on this whole thing because most of these records seem to be time, not number of touches. And so they they advertised her as 5,000-whatever touches. But that doesn't seem to be the officially sanctioned way of setting a record. Yeah, I knew
1: there was something fishy.
0: She was pretty good, though. She's better than you are. <laughs> better than me. What were we talking about? The weekend. Baseball. Mm-hmm.
1: There was right. an interesting Mark Burley game. That, that was, was weird. Very, <laughs> that was
0: very interesting. Very
1: weird. Yeah, so he... He started on one day's rest, which is not quite as unusual as I thought it would be. I asked ESPN Stats and Info about that because I was wondering if this is something that had been decades or something, but it hasn't actually been that long. It was 2012. Zach Granke did it and CJ Wilson did it. And both times there were strange circumstances. There's like a rain-delayed game. Or there was a, I think Grankey got ejected after four pitches in a game, so he came back the next day. He actually pitched in three consecutive games, if you count All Star Break or something. So this was a strange circumstance too, but Burley actually had thrown a start in the previous game, which is different. And then he came out and you'd think he was a lock for two innings, and not only could he not get two innings, he got two outs and gave up eight unearned runs. And lowered was... his,
0: lowered his <laughs> career area
1: Yeah. So that was sad because I like the Burley streak a lot. And I wish he'd gotten to fifteen seasons, and if that's how he goes out, I'm sort of sorry that's how he goes out.
0: Were they they were playing for something too, right? Yeah, home field. Home field and not just home field, but I mean the wild to face the wild card. They were playing to face the wild card opponent. If they had won and the Royals had lost, I believe they would have won the right to face the wildcard team which is uh, as talked about a very much not insignificant advantage or at least mm-hmm. in theory
1: yeah so that was a nice gesture i suppose
0: well i don't think they expected him to give up eight runs. <laughs> no
1: <laughs> no so that's uh too
0: bad. yeah anything else fun
1: tory hunter guaranteed a 2016 twins world series title so
0: guaranteed it wow
1: he promised it so his word just, man's word is his bond Spoiled the whole next season. Now we have nothing to look forward to. (laughs) Thanks, Tori.
0: What exactly did he say? He hasn't even decided on playing in
1: 2016. (laughs) No, he might not be there. (laughs) He didn't guarantee that. I'm reading from the Star Tribune. Next year we're going to win the World Series. Hunter promised... The announced twenty four thousand one hundred eight at Target Field in a short impromptu speech just before first pitch.
0: I'm going to say that that doesn't count as a promise. If the uh, reporter uses "promise" simply as a way of avoiding saying the word "said" again, it doesn't necessarily carry the full weight of the law. He didn't say "I promise." He simply he he simply said a thing. Maybe everything he says is binding. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's just he starts his day with a catch-all promise yeah he also said i love all you guys which i <laughs> that's also think stretch. is a lot
1: <laughs> that's a stretch 20,
0: Twenty-four thousand one hundred eight. most of them he hasn't even met yeah it's not love all uh, right.
1: okay yeah that's that's all that happened
0: all right so ben let's uh let's do our quick thing and get out of the way okay someone all used right.
1: 11 pitchers in a game right in a nine inning game that happened there was a new record of that also
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) Yes. October 4th, 2015, San Francisco Giants at Colorado Rockies. So it was uh, the Giants. The Giants used 11 pitchers in a 9-in game. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll
0: have to find a new team to root for. (laughs) Uh, And Bryce Harper did not hit 50 home runs. Okay. Would you, if they did that Sunday game, all the games at one time, if they did that on a non-final game of the season, like, say every Sunday? Mm-hmm. Would be would it be a net gain to
1: mm-hmm. you?
0: Do you do you like it separate from the playoff implications?
1: Well, realistically I'm not it's not like I'm sitting there from one PM to ten PM watching baseball nonstop, so it's not like I really need baseball on all day. I can flip back and forth. So I wouldn't mind it. I guess I I don't really want it either, if there are no no playoff implications. I don't really want it. But I wouldn't really mind.
0: It's kinda nice to have one day where baseball is over. That like I, I I also am not sitting there for twelve hours a day watching the full slate of games, except on, you know, a couple days a year. Like opening day I do, and that's a great blessing that I can do that. But but all the same, I am usually kind of following to see oh, who's winning this game, what happened with this guy, and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is kind of nice to have three hours blocked out, and then the rest of the day, you don't even have to think about it. It's just not not even there. And I'm, I normally don't like it when there's not baseball available, but once a week, kind of nice. Kind of nice, too, I sort of, for... Uh, this is obviously not Major League Baseball's primary <laughs> concern, but with head-to-head leagues that come down to Sunday it's kind of nice to just do all of them at once so that there's not a lot of roster manipulation where like you're putting in a, like you have to watch to see whether you get a tiny lead in ERA and then bench all your pitchers and that kind of thing, you just have to sort of throw everybody out there all at once and then wait and see how it develops Don't you have your rosters set at the same time or something?
1: I don't know how fantasy works anymore
0: No, you can uh, update it throughout the day if you are in that kind of league Okay Anyway, not probably, like I said, not their main concern. Not my main concern. Not your main concern. Nope. All right. Should we do our quick thing? Sure. All right. So we are going to talk about the three things that surprised us most this year. The three most shocking things. The three most unpredictable aspects of this season. Well, I didn't take this that seriously.
1: (laughs) No, neither did I. I didn't make my usual spreadsheet call a scout talk to the people in the game I didn't do that
0: All right so go on ahead and tell me one of yours All right well can I just can I do a
1: blanket like how bad I was at predicting everything Yes cuz cuz I could easily just pick 3 <laughs> teams that I thought com- went completely out of nowhere but that would be no fun So I don't know what the like I could just take the American League as as a the whole the entire league is unpredictable is strange. The Angels didn't end up making the playoffs, so none of my American League playoff picks made the playoffs. Grant Brisby wrote a thing about why we were also bad at projections this this year uh, last week and he started his article by reversing his preseason projections and they looked pretty good. And he uh-huh. pretended that they were his actual projections for a moment, and then he revealed the truth. And that would work for me too, I think, very well, if you just reversed everything I picked. So, I don't even know what the strangest one is. If I, if I had to pick one, I guess it would be the, see, it, I don't even know if it would be the Nationals, because they won 83 games, they didn't completely collapse, and I didn't think they were gonna win 105 or anything, so, but maybe the Nationals, but, Maybe the Red Sox. They kind well, of think
0: they... with the Nationals, you can you can all you can do this sort of game. You can cherry pick this game however you want. But with the Nationals, imagine also that I told you at the beginning of the year yeah. that Bryce Harper was gonna be the MVP. Yes and the Max Scherzer was gonna come within what? A throwing air and what was the other one? Hit by Hit pitch, by pitch. Yeah. of two perfect games. Yeah. And that he was going to strike out 10 batters per walk or whatever he did.
1: And that the rest of the division was going to be atrocious. The worst division,
0: (laughs) yeah, the worst division in baseball by far. And the Mets would have, you know, a losing record against every other team in baseball. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So that, I mean, I think they were my World Series pick. They were almost literally everyone's World Series pick. so, So maybe if I have to pick one. Just the Nationals, although I kind of like just the American League as an entity.
0: I don't know any way of figuring this out because you can't possibly figure it out. But I'd be interested if, if I had access to God's Brain or some sort of alternate universe machine uh, to see who, which players in history have cost themselves the most in their walk year. Like what they would have gotten if they'd hit free agency one year earlier versus what they actually got. Mm-hmm. And injuries would probably like somebody surely went from a big free agent contract to being out of the game because he got, you know, hit in the knee or something. But as far as performance, Ian Desmond and Doug Fister both have to be up there, right? Yeah, probably. Like, Doug, what does Doug Fister get last year as a free agent?
1: Well, he'd shown some signs of decline last year, right? Or he was on the DL for a while and he yeah, so he
0: he he was he only made twenty five starts and his strikeout rate went down mm-hmm. and and he finished eighth in Cy Young voting and had a two point four one ERA. <laughs> yeah, right. He's yeah, you know, I mean he was crafty veteran who was getting credit for outperforming his fit and he was like make, like saying something bad about Doug Fister was like saying something bad about the Royals it was just like okay fun guy
1: <laughs> yeah and now he's like <laughs> he's like a non tender candidate bullpen. <laughs> yeah oh well he's
0: if he a, were if
1: he were under contract creator. yeah
0: yeah yeah but he's yeah he finished the year in the bullpen he you know had a Below average ERA, even with that, I don't know what Doug Fister gets now. But what would he have gotten a year ago? Like my guess is that he'd get close to what James Shields got, because I think that what James Shields got was lower than what I would have expected James Shields to get. Like I, I think probably James Shields mismanaged it a little bit, but mm-hmm. Fister, he was 30 years old, coming off his age 30 season, 4 and 80 doesn't seem unreasonable for a guy who in the previous three seasons had three, four, and five wins above replacement.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I
0: guess if Rick Porcello could
1: get the deal he got, then Doug Pfister could get that deal too. But there were some red flags and there was Dombrowski trading him and there was maybe the fact that he was sort of underrated even when he was really good. So eh, I would say he gets under the Shields contract, but many, many millions more than he gets now.
0: And then Ian Desmond turned down 107 million in the two off seasons ago. Yeah. And I don't know what he could have gotten last year, but he was coming off of a, a four-win season and was entering his age 29 season as one of the best shortstops in the game, 24 homers, 24 steals. And so 107 certainly seems maybe if anything low for what he would have gotten. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he gets now. What do you think he gets yeah, there, now? There
1: was a passage in one of those recent Matt Williams takedowns in the Washington Post about Desmond talking to Randy Knorr, the Nationals bench coach, and asking him if he had screwed up by not taking that extension, which uh, I think probably in retrospect he has. So- I mean –
0: He's screwed up. Like, objectively speaking, he will make less money now because of that. But that's not the same as saying he's screwed up necessarily. Right. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it is the same as saying he's screwed up. But regardless, if that's what he's asking, yeah, he he cost himself money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you asking? What he makes now?
0: Yeah. What'll he get as a free agent this year?
1: Well, he's how old is he? Thirty. Yeah, he's
0: thirty, and he's only coming
1: off one disaster year.
0: Um, it's also a. Th- it's also a four-year trend line mm-hmm. as far as his offensive numbers go. And, oh, he got his fielding back up to above average by the end of the year. Impressive. Because mm-hmm. he had uh, all those problems early. Yeah. So, uh,
1: I don't know. Contract destination is the worst. Is my worst subject, except when I'm guessing
0: <laughs> right. old players. I won't make you. Okay. And then the other thing, the probably the most, I don't know, the, to me the most shocking thing about the national season was that Jason Worth could go from like two years as an MVP candidate, like a MVP down ballot guy mm-hmm. to just the worst thing in baseball. <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, that's it shouldn't be surprising because that happens. But it always surprises me how fast it happens. And partly it happens fast because you're reacting to the probably unrealistically high bar that a guy set. Uh, some regression is probably expected anyway and then now some regression the other way is is expected I mean he's really somewhere in the middle but to go 4.7 4.1 to negative 1.6 to drop 6 wins in one season It just Uh always shocks me. It never doesn't shock me when a guy drops six wins in a season. Anthony Rendon also dropped six wins, (laughs) at at least. (laughs) How how are you supposed to do baseball if this is part of it? Like, what does a GM do? Like, there's no team in baseball that wouldn't have gladly had Jason Worth as their opening day corner outfielder making you know 15 million dollars or something like that something slightly less than he's getting like every team in baseball would have taken that the rays would have spent 15 million to get jason worth and then he just is that bad like he's the worst he's one of the five worst players in baseball you know in total it's crazy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i mean at least like well yeah rendon yeah i guess i didn't realize how bad rendon was i just thought of rendon as being absent for the first half but yeah i didn't realize how yeah, not well, so good he was.
1: Both of those guys were hurt and came back, and maybe they weren't fully healthy. It's not that they were terrible with no explanation of their being terrible, which is always the most confusing kind. But, but yeah.
0: Yeah, was... but, well, Rendon was hurt and then came back, and it was all after the injury. Worth was not hurt until, I don't know what he was going through in the first month and a half. Maybe he was hobbled, but... His his worst the worst part of his season was actually before he ever went on the dl he hit 208 294 287 in the first 27 games and that's really what sunk him so maybe yeah I don't like have any idea what happened in baseball this year (laughs) so maybe it was the injury that did it but he wasn't very good after he came back from the dl either nope Uh, well I will just uh, go off of that and say that to me the red sox is not as much this year as a standalone mm-hmm. unpredictability. but two years ago after they won the World Series, they were as in as good a position as a franchise could be, right? They had the best or second best farm system in baseball, I think at the time. They had you know Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr. both looked like immediate future stars. they had their two Hall of Famers were still in good health and um, and under contract to kind of good, reasonable deals. They had all sorts of money. They had basically shed all of their every I don't know that they had a bad contract after that offseason. And they had a really smart, everybody agreed front office. And they finished last the next two years. That is incredible, Ben. (laughs) Like it makes there's no way you can do this baseball thing yeah yeah like there is no team in baseball i don't i, I think we actually talked about this around then uh, not about the red sox specifically but about which team we would choose if we could choose a team but like you could make a case for the dodgers because they had infinite uh resources and you could make a case for the red sox and maybe you could make a case for the cardinals and then the, those were like the three teams and and the red sox have finished last twice that's amazing
1: yeah, <laughs> they've very convincingly finished last. It's very odd, and they've done it despite like uh, a lot of things kind of going right. I mean, right, Mookie Betts <laughs> and Mookie Betts Ortiz. and Bogarts having a, a very good year, and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've so- they've made it more respectable in September. In the last couple of months, they've played pretty well, but but yeah, it's
0: it's baffling. So they had that. That strategy of going with five number three starters, basically. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people who thought, who looked at that rotation and said, that's a bad pitching staff. There's no ace. And then there were some people who looked at it and said, eh, well, it's not a great. Rotation, but there's not as you know they they put together what they could. They didn't put a ton of resources into it, mm-hmm. and those guys are all pretty good. There's some good arms there. Yeah. Uh,
1: and they so, can trade for someone. Lots of you know Cueto and Hamels.
0: Those guys will go somewhere. They could pick one of them up if they need to. So Porcello ends up with an 87 RA plus. That's worse than you would have projected. But he was kind of he was also kind of Porcello like. Like most of his stats were pretty consistent. He. Gave up a lot of home runs. And it's not like he'd ever had good ERAs. Like, that was the whole point of Porcello, is he had one good ERA in the previous five years, and he was entirely a a FIP projection machine, right? Mm. And so he had a, again, he had a worse ERA than his FIP, but he also didn't have a great FIP. I guess what I'm saying is that Porcello being as Porcello was, kind of predictable. You can't really give the Red Sox a pass on that. Joe Kelly finishes with a 89 ERA plus. His career wa- is 103, uh, but the year before he was 92. So not that shocking, kind of within Joe Kelly range. He added some strikeouts, gave up a couple extra home runs, and ERA worse than FIP. The Justin Masterson total disaster doesn't make it through the season. Clay Buchholz really pretty good, and then Hurt, can't claim to be surprised at all by that. That's exactly what happens with Clay Buckholz. If anything, the Red Sox front office probably got more than you could have counted on from Buckholtz. And then Wade Miley was basically a league average pitcher. So the rotation was... I don't know if that's to say that it's not to blame or it was to blame. It was basically what we thought it would be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they had a bad rotation.
1: Well, if they had... I mean, they, they finished... Only six games under 500. If they had gotten anything from Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval... I mean, Pablo Sandoval was, like, literally the worst player in baseball. I mean, yep. just the worst. And Hanley Ramirez was pretty close to the worst. And if those guys had been, you know, instead of negative whatever war they were worth, if they had been whatever they were projected to be, which I think was, you know, decent, like, maybe five wins or something with the two of them put together. I I didn't think those were brilliant budget deals or anything. I didn't think they were steals, but... Nobody
0: nobody was killing those deals, though, at the time. There were people... I mean, there
1: were people who didn't think highly of them. I don't know. I remember Jonah writing something fairly negative about it for Grantland based on those guys and their personalities and their aging and and various things. But, yeah, I don't think anyone put it on, like, the, the worst deals of the winter it wasn't like you know it wasn't like a face palm sort of deal i didn't think at least at the time i thought you know whatever they they probably won't age all that well but they're decent they'll make them better now and i mean anyone who didn't like the deals would have thought that they would make the team better now yeah so Mm -hmm. no one really called this exactly so i mean if those guys had done anything then the Red Sox might have contended even with their other problems.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I mean by no one was killing them. I mean, those were deals that, uh, like, I wrote about how uh, out of character they were and how they went against a lot of the things that the Red Sox had been saying they were aspiring to do. And specifically, they went against the things that they did leading up to 2013 and that everybody gave so much credit for. Uh, But Ultimately, it, they also were, if anything, they seemed to be slight overpays, a little bit on the back end. They were somewhat odd fits, and they were the actions of a team that didn't have a lot of other places to spend copious resources. And they seemed to, at least, at the very least, with certainty, with with pretty much near 100% certainty, make the Red Sox better right now. And that, of course, isn't what happened. I mean what what are the Red Sox
1: this year if those guys had been league average players, which would have been a very conservative estimate, so
0: well, like if they had just signed if they had gotten Chase Headley instead of Sandoval for a third of the money. And if they, or half the money or whatever, and if they had not even gotten Ramirez, but just gone with, you know, one of their nine outfielders. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, they're, you know, 500 team and they've got an extra 30 million and maybe they use that 30 million and get Max Scherzer instead of, uh, who would they have not gotten? Maybe they would have punted Masterson immediately or maybe they wouldn't have gotten Wade Miley.
1: Yeah, well, I never never liked the Masterson deal. That was. I put that as my worst deal of the offseason or something Wait, when I was oh, writing did stuff. They, but.
0: Did they re-sign? I, they traded for him, right? Oh, no, they re-signed him. That's right. Yeah. The Cardinals traded for him. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, if you replace... in a, If you can do this, if you can just be a totally omniscient, past mm-hmm. uh, looking person, and they get Scherzer instead of uh, Masters and then yeah now they're at 500 now they're um, I
1: mean those guys were like negative four war <laughs> like, right
0: now, now they're like an 88 win team and they're yeah. uh, the deadline
1: right so yeah. they're they're like a possibly a playoff team they're maybe so a wild card team
0: it could have happened they could have done it yeah they could have won this thing
1: they and, could have done it with the rotation that they had even if they so had it, not had their huge signings go awry
0: yeah all right. So are we saying, are we blaming the front office? Are we hot-taking the Red Sox front office? I don't think you
1: can blame anyone for negative four war out of Hamley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval. Out that's insane. Percent. Yeah, That's crazy. No it one can nuts. predict that.
0: No. All right. Give me another unpredictable.
1: <laughs> Brett Anderson.
0: Yeah. Well, you. that's interesting that you say that because you were the one standing up for Brett Anderson when I was what? saying zero-tapes. I, you pointed out. You pointed out the uh, the optimistic way of looking at it was that uh, his recent couple of injuries had been sort of things like a thumb or like a rib cage or something like that. Things that like he had not. It's not like he was. He was um, Ryan Madsen mm-hmm. go, coming off of back to back Tommy Johns. You could put Ryan Madsen. <laughs> okay, I'm switching
1: my answer to Ryan Madsen. <laughs> Ryan <then. laughs>
0: Madsen. Yeah, he didn't have. You know, he wasn't. He didn't have a bad shoulder all 2014. He was he had become a caricature of a injured guy's stat sheet. But uh, if you were going to take his innings totals for the previous four years and assign injuries to them, he had kind of close to the best case injuries for that stat sheet. Now, mm-hmm. that said, in four years, he had thrown 200 innings yeah. and was expected to pitch in all four of them. It's not like in any of them he was out for the year. And then he just doesn't miss a... He never misses a start for the Dodgers. 31 starts. They treated him fairly gently. But I... I mean, I, I mentioned this very early. Like in the first or second start of the year. Or no, it was in spring training. I saw him in spring training. And he had to cover the bag on a ground ball to first. And like... Just seeing him cover the bag, I was like, "There it is, he's done." Yeah. I think I saw a grimace, and uh, I saw him slide for a ball at one point, and I thought, "Oh, he's done, broke his wrist," yeah. and he just kept going. He was unbreakable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. He what? He probably finished what? Is he top forty innings in baseball this year? Probably one hundred and eighty and a third. Uh, yeah, he might be Iron Man, Workhorse.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Hey, they
0: should start him on two days rest in the postseason. <laughs> Never saw that coming. No, I didn't either. I uh, I didn't either. He finished fifty fourth in mm-hmm. innings. Okay. I had a famously durable Carlos Martinez by one inning. Uh huh. Wow. Did you know that uh, Ubaldo Jimenez pitched okay this year?
1: Yeah, I wrote about That's him once.
0: Not one of mine, but yeah. <laughs> didn't didn't see that coming. Yeah,
1: he pitched really well and then horrendously and then well the typical Ubaldo.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right, mine is sort of a softball for you, but I'm maybe you're going to get to him actually. But mine is Francisco Cervelli, mm. MVP candidate. <laughs> yeah. Like I if you I mean he's not he's he won't get probably he might get a down ballot or two as a catcher on a pennant winning team with good offense. But he is basically what people think Yadier Molina is at this point. Mm-hmm. He he is a very good hitter who had a 370 on base percentage, who is one of the truly best framers in the game mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, he's, no, he, he's like making like $600,000 or something. Yeah. And I guess this isn't it shouldn't be like totally shocking to me because he was a good hitter last year with the Yankees, but it was a small sample, and I didn't take it seriously. And the year before was even smaller, and I didn't take it seriously. And there was just nothing about Francisco Cervelli that ever promised a breakout. And so when he had these sort of small breakouts and small samples in years where he was mostly injured or inactive, you didn't think, oh, well, now we're seeing it, now it's here. You just thought, Guy who was never really anything, never much of a prospect, never much of a hitter, never much of, you know, anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you didn't see this coming, did you? Like, you're, you've are you got to be his biggest fan, and you didn't see this coming. Not
1: the hitting part. Definitely okay. not the hitting part.
0: Right. All the other stuff you, was why he gets signed. He gets signed despite not being able to hit. But in fact, if you look at it, he's now got in his last 700 plate appearances, uh, he's got a 294, 370, 416 line, which is a 786 OPS. And I'm just going to do a quick play index and see where he ranks among catchers over the last three years as a hitter. I bet he's top five. He might be top three. Yeah. If you you
1: set the minimum that low, I would think probably.
0: So I'm going to set the minimum at 650 plate appearances, sorting by uh, OPS Plus. And all right, moment of truth. Francisco Cervelli, last three years, second best hitting catcher (laughs) in baseball. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Ahead of Messerocco, ahead of Grandal, ahead of Derek Norris, ahead of Brian McCann, ahead of, I mean, way ahead of Molina.
1: Just just Posey Cervelli?
0: (laughs) Posey Cervelli, yeah. Posey Cervelli. He's a little bit ahead of Luke Roy and a little bit ahead of Russell Martin. Third <laughs> I mean, didn't didn't that's a, unsu- that's surprising, Ben. That's,
1: that's pretty surprising, yeah.
0: How does he do you know off the top of your head how he does on uh on the catching metrics these days? I think he's the top. The top this year? Yeah. If you had an MVP vote, he's three he's three wins without framing. Yeah. So I don't think you you he's an, no. no. You're not he's not you're quite not at that level. You're not putting him on your ballot?
1: So BP has him as third best in, like, 16 runs, so I don't don't think so.
0: Not quite there, huh? No. All right. Well, worse players than him will get votes.
1: Yeah, that's probably true.
0: That's definitely true. Mm. Uh, All right. Go ahead.
1: All right. Well, this isn't a good one, but it's one that has bothered me all year. I don't know why it just has bothered me that I got this wrong. And well, maybe I know why. It's from the uh, from the AL East preview I wrote, which is just wrong from top to bottom. But the best offseason move that I had for the Blue Jays was trading J-Hap for Michael Saunders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Saunders has not played. <laughs> he has not played baseball. I mean, I guess he played. He played. What did he play? He played nine games. And J-Hap has gone on to be a, an ace with the Pirates all of a sudden, and has been you know a solid above average starting pitcher all year. And I think this has bothered me because I fell for the injured or good guy again. So this is kind of the opposite of the Brett Anderson one, where I felt like I learned my lesson with the Brett Anderson one, and then <laughs> that was, I when I learned my lesson a few years ago when I was mad about uh, who was I mad about the pitcher who was always hurt. and Sean
0: Mark, Yeah, Markham.
1: Sean Markham. So Sean Markham came back and I swore off health injured or good pitchers forever. And so I was wrong on Brett Anderson because of that. But I haven't sworn off injured or good position players. So I thought that the J-hat for Michael Saunders trade was a great trade because he was going to be a two to three win guy and he was a lefty and the Blue Jays had a righty heavy lineup and then he got hurt in spring training and then he Got hurt again, and and I mentioned in my in my article when I was calling it such a great trade, I said he also has injury issues, which makes this something less than a steal. But I still went for it because I thought this would be the year when he would stay healthy and be good. And I thought J hap was just some guy, and uh, J hap's been really really good. And Michael Saunders hasn't played, so that one just has stuck in my head. It's certainly not the most unpredictable or surprising. Thing that has happened this year But it's one that bothers me
0: All right, and um, I'll do uh, My last one is Not so much a surprise that this guy Was good at defense But that he was so good at defense Kevin Kiermaier as a plus 42 Defender that (laughs) Isn't even that Controversial it doesn't seem like Like 42 I think It's fair to say any 42 Should probably be regressed Mm -hmm. Somewhat but like nobody's nobody's mocking it particularly. Like it's one of the great seasons ever. And it seems like when writers tackle this number and tackle this player, they say, Yeah, uh-huh, that's that's right. It is one of the great seasons ever. And we knew he was a good defender, but this guy is basically as valuable defensively as Andrelton Simmons. And with Andrelton Simmons, you saw it coming miles away, years away. Like It was always there. It was always going to be there. And then it showed up and it was immediately visible. Kiermaier played right field mostly last year. He didn't even play center field primarily for them. And he finished like fourth in fielding Bible voting for the multi-position spot, which isn't that competitive because there's not that many guys who qualify as multi-position guys. He was two spots ahead of Steven Pierce, for instance, (laughs) uh, which puts that in perspective uh, I'm looking at his, his the, our 2014 top raise prospects, six glove, six arm, which means, yeah, he was an above-average fielder with an above-average arm. But, of course, he's an elite fielder now with an elite arm. And what shocks me is that that's not normally something that you see players get better at. It's pretty much a straight slope down uh, as far as aging goes and defense, and particularly an arm, how an arm gets stronger like that, like you hardly ever see an arm change in any way but down. But to go, I mean, he's basically an an elite eight level arm, you know, eight grade arm at this point. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing he was well coached and worked really hard.
1: Yeah, he's like Juan Lagares the last couple of years, where he was like a plus thirty both of those years, and no one saw him coming.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know.
1: there's been there's been some couple threads at Tom Tango's site about how maybe it's positioning, maybe the Rays are masters of positioning and that that should get a bunch of the credit for Kiermaier I mean I don't know when you watch him it doesn't look like he's just somehow being placed in the perfect spot for the ball every time it looks like he's a good outfielder but that's kind of a hard thing to to tell because you don't even really see where a guy starts when you're watching on tv so there's some speculation that maybe some of that credit should be going to the Rays coaches or analysts or whoever but but yeah, clearly he's he's very good. All right, that's all. Okay, we could probably do ten without we even could, breaking a sweat.
0: But we could every page I opened, <laughs> uh, I saw five more. Yeah, <laughs> we could do this. We could do this pretty much all off season if we really wanted to. We could just start talking, open a page, and just go from there. <laughs> that
1: might we might resort to that at some point. All right, so we'll be back tomorrow. Send us some emails at podcastatbaseballperspectives.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to the Play Index and support our sponsor. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And that is it for today.